Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. It's the monster from the swamps, Regis Ruguru Program. Hey, what's up? This is King Carlos Molina, former IBF world champ. This is Michael, the bounty hunter, 2012 Olympian and your people's champ. This is Charlie Edwards, flyweight champion of the world. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 208 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined this week by the ever-elusive, the infamous, known around the world. It is, of course, Mr. Ayaz Sumra. Ayaz, how you doing? I'm good, Joey. Yourself? Very good, my friend. Very good. Right, let's, uh, let's, let's waste no time. Let's dive straight into the review part of the show. We're going to start here at the home of boxing in the UK, the York Hall, Bethnal Green, London, United Kingdom. Um, this one took place last Friday. It was the Golden Contract MTK, um, MTK Global Show. Um, Good few fights, to be honest. I'm just going to kind of whiz through these. Uh, the the Cuban, the Cuban Heron Socceros. That was the guy that um, that chose Ryan Walsh actually when when he picked a blue ball out of the uh, the bag or whatever. He actually got TKO'd in the ninth round. Um, so so a good win there for Ryan Walsh. He looked real good. He broke his man down. Now 25 wins, two losses, and two draws. And he serves up the first loss there to Socceros, who was undefeated himself, 22 and 0 with three draws now a loss um Socceros was also given a count in the fifth round um also on the bill what I thought would be a real good fight between David Oliver Joyce and Lee Wood I believe Lee Wood was the guy that chose David Oliver Joyce um it was for the for the uh, the WBO European featherweight title Joyce was actually down in the second round and also down in the seventh round but he was TKO'd in the ninth round of a scheduled 10 rounder a brilliant win there for Lee Wood he looked a level above David Oliver Joyce um Hard to really tell what's going to happen with Joyce, you know, because the performance just wasn't up to par. It wasn't as as expected. You know, I thought that would be a real competitive fight. For me, it was really all Lee Wood. And, um, you know, I don't want to say, you know, it's, 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 it's over for him because it would be way too premature to say that. But, I don't know, it was real under-impressive against the Commonwealth champion. You do have to kind of think, what's you know, what's he going to what's he gonna do? Um, that's his first loss, though, so perhaps a change of, of scenery, a trainer, I don't know what it is. Something needs to change there. David Oliver-Joyce now 11-1. and one. Um, Friend of the show, Jazza Dickens, picked up win number 28. It was for the IBF European featherweight title. He took on Carlos Ramos. It was a unanimous decision over 10 rounds. Uh, Ramos was down in the fourth round. Again, in this tournament, I think you get a £5,000 bonus if you manage to get a knockout. So we've mentioned two knockouts there. Of course, Dickens went the distance and the other fight ended um, by going the distance as well. Tyrone McCulloch now 14-0, a win against Razak Najib, who's now 11-4. Um, 
quite a decent fight, quite close-ish, but Tyrone McCulloch, the rightful winner there. Uh, moving out now to the Doncaster Dome in Yorkshire, United Kingdom, former two-time world title challenger, friend of the show, Gavin McDonnell, picked up a routine win, a seventh-round TKO against Nathan Kirk, who's now 12-5. and five. That was Gavin's 22nd win. He's got two losses and two draws. Very good fighter, Gavin McDonnell. Two losses at the very top level. Uh, moving out now to Denmark, one fight to mention over here, Ashley Fearfane picked up win number 48 it says that's his 48th win he's got 8 losses and 1 draw but he's been saying that's his 50th win so I don't know if there's been a couple of fights unsanctioned that are not on his box rec record or if perhaps he just doesn't agree with a couple of um, you know a couple of decisions that went against him, it's hard to tell, it's a hard question to ask the guy as well, I'd like to, I'd like to ask him um, you know, how's that his 50th win? You know, what happened there? Kind of, do you remember when Dillian White got, got knocked out by Joshua and then he refused to acknowledge it and he, you know, he still said he was undefeated in his in his bio? Um, yeah, anyways, good win there for Ashley Fearfame, friend of the show. He pretty much won every round against Kasim Uma, who's now 29-14 and 14 with one draw. Um, the fight was almost up at middleweight, which is kind of crazy. I'm not sure what Ashley Fearfame's doing up there, but... Good fighter, and um, he's got the most wins of any active British fighter, so credit to him. Moving out now to the Action Indoor Sports, um, which is in Bristol in the United Kingdom. One or two fights to mention, basically, former world champion Lee Haskins. He returned for what was his 40th fight. It was his 36th win. He does carry those four losses. He had his man down in the first round, but it ended up going the six rounds, and he picked up the win over points. Um, Sergio Gonzalez was the opponent, now 10-19 and 19 with five draws, but Lee Haskins' own son was also on the bill. He made his debut really cool. Bit of history-making there. Anton Haskins picked up a win against the very seasoned journeyman um, Ibra Riaz who's now uh, 6 wins, 169 losses and 4 draws he won every round Anton Haskins over 4 so a nice little shutout win on his debut he went the distance, it'll be interesting to see what he can do when he steps things up Uh, moving out now to the PAL Centre in Delaware, USA Two fights to mention over here. Fan Long Meng, the guy that beat Frank Buglioni, um, I think it was, was it was it last year, I think, um, on the Monaco show. I think he stopped Buglioni, if I'm not mistaken. But anyway, I, I never know why Buglioni took that fight. There were loads and loads of fights on the table, like Anthony Yard. I think he got offered a fight with him. He got offered a fight with Andre Ward, with Sergei Kovalev. They were talking about a Jose Burton rematch, and he decided to just take on Fan Long Meng for some reason, an unknown Chinese fighter, real good amateur, and he got stopped, and it you know, robbed him from getting the paydays you'd have thought those fights would bring, and then he just decided to retire straight after. So I never understood that really, that choice from him. But anyway, um, Fan Long Meng extended his win streak, now 16 and 0, a second round KO against Gilberto Rubio, who's now 9 and 9. And topping that bill, Hank Lundy, friend of the show, picked up win number 30. He's got those eight losses and one draw. It was a win against Robert Frankel, a tough guy who pretty much will box anyone. His record now 37 and 23 with one draw it was his 61st fight unbelievable stuff uh, moving out now to the Dalt Federal Event Center in Flint, Michigan, USA it was supposed to be topped by uh, Clarissa Shields and Ivana Habazin obviously a, a, a complete disgusting event unfolded I believe it was at the weigh-in where Habazin's trainer 
um, James Ali Bashir, obviously former um, former kind of second, if you like, to, to to the likes of Vladimir Klitschko. Eddie Chambers as well was was trained by him for a while. Uh, he was attacked, and um, long story short, I don't want to start pointing the fingers. Um, I think whoever whoever attacked him has now been been arrested and stuff. So basically, the fight couldn't go ahead, and prayers are with are with um, James Ali Bashir because he he got released from hospital, and then apparently they found like a further bleeding on his brain, so he's had to go back in now for emergency um, for for an emergency kind of procedure. So prayers are with him because this this is terrible absolutely terrible um in the end the the co-main event i believe ended up being elevated to the main event jerome ennis now 24 and oh it was a tko in the third round against damian fernandez now 12 and 2 um again jerome ennis certainly one to watch in the future i think his nickname is boots i, I don't know why his nickname is boots maybe he wears fancy boots maybe maybe he likes to shop in boots i don't know um, moving out now to New York, USA at the MSG. Let's start with this one, Ayaz, and pretty much finish with this one because it was the main card of the weekend. Um, on the undercard, I will say Nikita Ababi picked up another win. First round knockout there against Isaiah Seldon, who's now 13 and 3 with a draw. Nikita Ababi, I think, has, has only gone the distance once. All of his knockouts have come in the first and second rounds. Also on the bill, very good amateur Joseph Ward turned pro. He got in there with a guy with a winning record which we like to see Marco Delgado 5 and 1 was his record and then Joe Ward actually I believe dislocated his knee in the second round he couldn't continue so he actually lost by a TKO um not sure what you know what happened there really why why wasn't it a no contest I, I don't I don't know it's so confusing even for people like myself I like to think that I know a lot more about boxing than the average person on the street but with situations like this it's so unclear in my eyes that i've got as much idea as just a random person on the street who's never seen a fight before but um yeah bad start there for joseph ward zero and one not his own fault of course uh also on the bill ivan baranchik took on gabriel uh, Brasero, former opponent of Paulie Malinagi. That was a fight I definitely didn't see going the distance, but the odds on that were, were very, um, you know, were very short kind of thing. So uh, no point really putting money on that. But anyway, Ivan Baranchik won very easily. Uh, TKO in the fourth round there for the vacant WBA Intercontinental Super Lightweight title. Baranchik now 20-1. and one. Uh, Bracero 25-4 and four with one draw. I think he's got quite a good story, Bracero. Um, I, think, I think a few things have happened w- with him outside of the ring. Quite an interesting character. Uh, also on the bill, top in the bill. Let's just go straight to it. I as Gennady Golovkin against Sergei Derevianchenko. Obviously, Derevianchenko's only loss came to Jacobs in a real close fight. Um, Gennady Golovkin, of course, boxed Jacobs. It was a real close fight. Some people felt like Jacobs did enough. Um, and Jacobs on the cards just about did enough against Derevianchenko. So he was a guy I would have loved to ask who he felt would win going into the fight. It was, of course, for the vacant IBF and IBO world middleweight titles. Um, Derevianchenko was down in the very first round. But it, it, it proved to be a real tough fight for Golovkin. He showed him something that Golovkin hasn't seen for a long time. And um, it was a much better fight than some people thought it would be. I, I did say it, you know, it had the makings to be a real good fight. I think I said to a few people, it is unbelievably, you know, 
it is kind of a bit of a super fight, even though Dorovianchenko, you feel, hasn't really done enough to be to be in a super fight at middleweight at the very top, you know. But I knew it was going to be a tough competitive fight. Uh, we all predicted a Golovkin knockout nonetheless, and of course that didn't happen, but talk me through the fight anyway, Ayers, because I keep rumbling on for, for, for no reason talking nonsense, so save me. <laughs> I mean, it was a good fight. I mean, a lot of judges thought that Derevinchenko won the fight. In my opinion, it was a Golovkin fight. I mean, Gol- uh, uh, Golovkin, um, he, they did say that before coming into the fight, he wasn't well. He had a bit of a flu, I think. Because I was reading a couple of stories about him. They said that, yeah, oh, that Golovkin wasn't right. He was not 100% right in this camp. Uh, obviously, Golovkin, how old is he now? 37 years old, is that correct? Yeah, 37 now. 37 years old and he's a two-time middleweight champion. Wow, that's, he's done very good. I mean, in this fight, obviously, he, did, he, did, he performed like he performed okay, but not at the greatest standard. Obviously, knocking down Dervinchenko, but obviously the, the reason was that was because of the flu that he's had. Now moving forward, now obviously, I, I was reading something as well before that. Kel Brook said that he's like, oh, the reason Golovkin is like is fading away now is because he put the dent on Golovkin of that fight, which is utterly nonsense. <laughs> but I mean, like I said, um, good performance with Golovkin. I really don't want to see that triple. Uh, triple uh, I don't want to see that fight with Canelo third one because I think to, after looking at that performance and his age, I think Canelo beats him. The fight I want to see him fight next is I want to see him fight either Andrade or Billy Joe Saunders. Yeah, I agree with that. I don't really see the point in a third Canelo fight. I mean, other than of course a big payday for Golovkin, I'm not quite sure what it does. I mean, even if Golovkin were to actually win then it'd be one apiece and a draw. So they'd need to do a fourth one, you know? So no one really wants to keep seeing these fights. The first fight, again, I felt like Golovkin won, clearly got a draw. And I said it straight away after the fight. I said, in the rematch, if it happens, he's not going to look as good. You know, he's, he's, he's getting older and Canelo's getting better all the time, it seemed. And that is exactly what happened. I actually thought the second fight was a draw. And, um... I think that's how I had it. I had it a draw, I believe. And, of course, they gave it to Canelo. So, a third fight, not really interested in seeing that at all. But, anyway, back to the fight itself, what we have here. Uh, The first round, I mean, it was a bit of a sloppy knockdown. Um, You know, Derevianchenko said the punch hit him behind the head. I think he was a tad off balance as well. Uh, Obviously, the punch did. It did land. Um, until until the knockdown, nothing really was landed effectively by either guy. But of course, a ten eight round there for Golovkin. The second round I felt was a very tactical round, very much nip and tuck. But Golovkin did land two beautiful left hooks, especially um, in that round, and he opened up the right eye of the Revianchenko also. So it just seemed to be a brilliant start for Triple G, winning both the first rounds. Um, you know, having a cut on 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 his opponent's face, and of course scoring a knockdown the third round. That cut seemed to actually give the Revianchenko a spring in his step. You know, he came out, he boxed excellently. He even perhaps hurt Golovkin with a left hook to the body. He pushed Golovkin back, which we don't see often. But Golovkin did also have some moments himself in that round. But the fight was certainly starting to heat up nicely. I felt like Derevianchenko actually won that third round. The fourth round was another great round for Derevianchenko. Um 
you know, he was again able to push Golovkin back for big moments in that fight. Um, Golovkin's poker face, as we know, is one of the very best. Even when he's under pressure, he was able to just keep himself real calm. He showed the variation in his own shots as well. Um, you know, the cut was worsening for Derevianchenko. I felt a bit bad. I was hoping that we don't see a cut jeopardize what was turning out to be, at that point, even that early, a real good and competitive fight. Uh, the fifth round, another real tactical round. I felt like Golovkin probably did the better work, but Derevianchenko landed another peach of a left hook to the body of Golovkin, and he winced, and he backed up immediately Golovkin. So it was a bit alarming there. I did feel like Triple G won the round, though. Um... Round six, definitely a Derevianchenko round. He was pushing Golovkin back again. He was turning Golovkin. He was getting his attacks off. Ultimately, he outworked Golovkin. It was plain and simple. Uh, you know, of course, we know Golovkin has got one of the best chins in boxing, but Derevianchenko is such a tactical fighter. It was a real interesting uh, first six rounds going into the second half of the fight. Seventh round was a great round. Probably Golovkin nicked it. You know, I felt he was starting to get through a bit more often, but the spring in the step was still there for Derevianchenko. His movement was working. Um, I actually had it 4-3 to Golovkin um, after seven rounds. Obviously, there's a 10-8 round in the first as well, though. But Golovkin was was seeming to feel the pace, even though he won the round. Uh, the, the, the eighth round, again, I gave that one to Triple G. He was starting to really step with his jab, really punch him through the target. The ninth round, again, another round for Triple G for me. Derevianchenko did have some nice moments in the round, though. Um... Tenth round, great moments from Derevianchenko at the start of the round. Golovkin didn't even throw a punch for 30 seconds or more. It was all Derevianchenko. He made a brilliant start. Um, definitely he won the round, even though he did take some bombs just as the bell went um, from from Golovkin right right at the, the last couple seconds of that tenth round. The eleventh round, another real close round. Both men had moments. I felt like Golovkin might have just about nicked it. Really, really could have gone either way, though, that, that 11th round. And the 12th round, I felt, was a very close round again. Um, Golovkin started well. I felt like Derevianchenko finished well. And I actually gave the round controversially to Derevianchenko. But still, on my card, um, I ended up having it 115-112. So, um Seven rounds to five, but of course with the 10-8 round, that's why there's an extra point. So, very close fight, very competitive fight. Um, Derevianchenko, very much a who-needs-him club type of guy. He's right in that same boat as as a Matty Korobov. Um, I hope that we see Derevianchenko and Matty Korobov get other chances. You know, both men have kind of got a right to say, well, hey, I should be world champion. I was on the wrong end of a decision. A lot of people felt like Derevianchenko won. A lot of people felt like Korobov beat Charlo. Um, you know, there there are still brilliant fights out there for Golovkin. I'd, I'd personally like to see him in there with a Jamal Charlo. Um, I, I also do like the Andrade fight. I like the Billy Joe fight, as you mentioned, Diaz, if Billy Joe was to come down to super middle. Um, well, sorry, come down from super middle. Um there's a lot of big fights for him still. A lot of very competitive fights, you know. This this performance, just because it was a close one and a lot of people hadn't heard of Derevianchenko, the casual fans, they were looking at the record, seeing he's only had 14 fights and he's already got a loss. Not looking at who the loss was to, not watching the fight, and people were saying Golovkin's one of the most overrated fighters in the last 10 years, which is just absolute stupidity. Um, yeah, so for me... 
Good performance from Golovkin. Um, so, so tough. Good performance from Derevyanchenko. Showed huge heart in that fight. Um, there's just brilliant fights that can be made in a uh, middleweight, not even with the champions. Like I say, with a load of guys that don't hold belts, like Derevyanchenko, like Korobov. Um, you know, Daniel Jacobs is in the mix as well. There's many big fights. Um, but yeah, I want to see Boo Boo Andrade tested. Um, you know, and, and Billy Joe with some of the best fighters at middleweight. Obviously, Canelo kind of leading the pack at the minute, you'd have to say. Um, but yeah, that is about it for the review part of the show. Just before we wrap up part one, the final thing to do is to welcome our very first guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the top featherweight contender. It is, of course, Mr. Miguel Flores. Miguel, welcome to the show, my friend. Hey, guys, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity and, and having me on, on the show. Absolutely no problem, Miguel. So first things first, of course, your pro record currently stands at 24 wins, just two losses. Obviously, you've been a pro 10 years now. Um, I want to go back you know, to, 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 uh, to April 20th, 2013. I mean, you, you were able to box there on the Canelo versus Trout undercard. Canelo wasn't quite the star he is today, but it was still, you know, obviously a huge thing in terms of your career. You managed to get a win that night as well. What was it like boxing on a card of that magnitude? Yes, as you said, I've been, I've been a pro for, for 10 years, so um, I'm well-experienced, well-seasoned. Um, yes, that night, I mean, it was an incredible night. It was at the Alamo Dome, which was, uh, I want to say about, two, three hours from Houston. So, man, it, it was amazing. You know, there was, I think, that night, I'm not even sure how many fans, 70-plus, you know, 1,000 fans. And it was a great, of course, Canelo wasn't the star he is today, but it was a great experience. You know, I've been I've been around, you know, the high-level high, high level of boxing, you know, throughout my whole career. So, you know, just fighting at the MGM is something even bigger. But, um, I mean, we're, we're aware of what we're getting into, so we're going to be ready for that. Absolutely, and we are here to discuss your upcoming fight. I do just want to quickly touch on, um, obviously, the the two setbacks. Unfortunately, they came back-to-back. 2017, obviously, the first loss came to Dat Nagoya in a fight that was real competitive up until that stoppage. Uh, Do you just want to give us a word on that fight for those that may not have seen it? Yeah, obviously, you know, like... Like any fighter, uh, sometimes you just get caught with a good punch, and, and that's that. I mean... I've always said it, you know, I have no excuses for that fight. You know, the the better man won that night. Um, even though I still think, you know, he's not a better fighter, better boxer than me. It's just that night he was a better man, and all credit to him. Um, obviously, you know, we went back and, and tried to correct a few things that, that we know we did wrong in that fight, and it was just a learning experience, you know. Learning experience, I'm never going to, you know, have any excuses for that one. And then, like I say, the Chris Avalos fight, July 2017, a fight you were winning on all three judges' scorecards. You even dropped Avalos in the third round, and then the fight got stopped due to a cut on your eyebrow, so you lost via technical knockout. Obviously, a real harsh way to to lose a fight, really. Uh, Just tell us about that one. Again, obviously, a big fight for you at that point. Yeah, obviously. I mean, right back after I lost with... uh with Gwen, um, I mean, that's that's how, you know, I have a great team behind me, Louis Cuba Jr., Al Heyman, PBC, because they got me a, another opportunity on the big stage, on the, uh, a TV, TV slot. And, um, yeah, we were, uh, we were up against a tough competitor and, and uh, Chris Avalos because he had experience. He had been in there with Carl Frampton and a lot of other big names. But, I mean, I went into the fight confident. Um, I mean, I was controlling the fight. I had dropped Avalos in, uh, in the third round. I was beating them on all the scorecards. I had three cuts that night, you know, and, you know, trust me, no no fighters are going to produce three cuts, three cuts off of punches. 
you know, it was just a grueling, you know, in in toe to toe fight, and those cuts were produced by headbutts. I recall the ref even saying, you know, headbutt, headbutt. So you know, when they stopped the fight, we really didn't even, you know, fuss about it because we're like, okay, we were winning. We were sure we were winning on all the scorecards, and you know, from one point to another, the ref says. It was a punch, so you know it was a big chaos. You know, even the the ring, uh, the commentators for Fox, they were like, "Wow, you know, this is unseen. You know, how are you going to call a headbutt and then say it was ruled off a punch?" But I mean, at the end of the day, a lot of people see that fight and say that uh, Leo Santa Cruz beat Avalos and that Avalos beat me. But if you're a real boxing fan, if you're a real, you know, uh, a hardcore boxing fan, you know that uh, that's a that was a fluke. You know, that's a fight that I really should have won. You know, by technical decision. Because, uh, you know, it was just a matter of time, you know, for, for Avalos to fall out. But, I mean, at the end of the day, that one, I could tell you, you know, it just slid on right off, you know. At the end, at the end of the day, I, I know I won that fight, and it wasn't, it wasn't that hard. But it was a good experience as well. Yeah, like I say, a harsh way to lose. I mean, it's, you know, we see this time and time again in boxing. Not the fairest sport in the world. Um, I do want to add, Miguel, I, I want to inform our listeners of something that they may not know about your journey. Not all boxing journeys are happy ones. It's been well documented that before you even turn pro, obviously a tragic event occurred in your family. I understand it must be an incredibly sensitive subject, but what can you tell us about the situation, obviously, with your with your brother, Miguel? Yeah, obviously, a lot of people, you know, they question if if, if um, I'm able to talk about that. And, of course, you know, my brother's part of my team, part of my life, and he's part of the dream. You know, I, I always want to bring my brother's story with me because, you know, if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be here. Um, obviously, it was a tra- tragic event, but, um, you know, that was uh, – I never doubted it to keep going after he passed away. I was only a kid. I was uh, 16, getting ready to turn 17, but I never doubted in my mind that uh, – that I want to continue the sport. And, uh, you know, I kind of took on, on his dream and my dream and put it together. And obviously, like any fighter, man, there's there's mornings that I, I'm tired, that I want to wake up at 5 a.m. to go run. There's times I'm tired, but just thinking about my brother and thinking about my whole family, it's just motivation. You know, I have two kids of my own. I have my nephew. That's my brother's kid. You know, I have a, a family that I have to, um, you know, support. So, obviously, that pushes me. That's fuel for me um, to keep going, um, you know. And like I said, uh, it's a dream that both uh, my brother and myself had um, since we were kids. And, and, you know, I'm one step away from fulfilling that dream and making it all, all um, possible. Obviously, we know that Leo is, is a great fighter. He's not a three-division world champion for anything, and he's a high-volume puncher. So I know I got to bust my ass in the gym to, to, you know, be able to stand up to that punch output and, um, you know, compete with him. And we're, we're doing that. We're working very, very hard in the gym to, to compete with him. Oh, that's excellent, man. And I'm sure, again, you know, your brother gives you that extra motivation uh, that an an underdog needs in a fight like this. Um, Perhaps this is written in the stars. You know, Miguel, remember, you've been a pro 10 years now. 10, it's a lucky number in the sport at times. Maybe this is your time. Uh, You mentioned there the fight takes place November 23rd, the Wilder vs. Ortiz 2 undercard. Leo Santa Cruz puts his WBA Super World Featherweight title on the line. Have you watched much of Leo then coming up? I'm guessing you probably probably have you you mentioned there about his punch out but um a, a very good fighter at the weight yes obviously i mean i've been following leo since my younger days um even ever since he started um i remember his brothers used to fight here in shows in houston when top rank was promoting shows here in houston his brother um 
think uh, Armando Santa Cruz, he fought a few times here. So I've followed that family since I was a kid. You know, it's nothing new to me. I followed them. Obviously, um, a lot, well, some people know that we're from the same um, state in Mexico, from Michoacan. So trust me, I used to see him because we're from over there. So I know what he's like. I mean, even though, um, like, we do study, but I don't have to do much because we know what Leo is like. Um, he obviously throws a lot of punches. Um Later in the years, he's tried to box a little bit, but um, we're coming up with a great, great game plan, you know, to offset that. Um, and like I said, there's no easy fights in boxing, especially at this stage. And uh, I know what I have to do to, to compete. And obviously, I'm not here because of the fights I've lost. You know, I've, I'm here because of all those 10 years that I've put in work in the pro ranks and, you know, everything I put in, all the work I put in the gym to get me to this point. You know, I know nothing was given to me. And I want to ask you a, cu- a couple of other little things kind of off subject. I want to ask you, uh, Miguel, have you sparred with many big names over the years? I always like to ask this to people that I speak to for the very first time because sometimes I get a real strange name come out of somewhere and uh, it just really intrigues me. Any big names you sparred with over the years that we may know? Um, one mutual guy that actually um, I come to, to mind, and he's a, you know, he's a, he was a real well-rounded pro, uh, was uh, Rocky Juarez. Um, I remember going to the gym and watching my brother spar him. I was young. And um, you fast forward about 10 years, I was sparring Rocky Juarez as well when I was about 18, 19 years old. They called me to spar him. It was crazy, you know, because I'm like, man, this is the dude I used to watch my brother spar with. Obviously, my brother sparred him when he was in his better days when he had just came out of the Olympics. But I got him. I got. I, I caught up with Rocky, you know, when he was a little bit, you know, older in his age. But still, man, it was always great work with with Rocky Juarez. I learned a lot from him. You know, he fought big names. Um, so obviously, I learned a lot from Rocky Juarez. Also, another name I sparred was uh, Guillermo Rindaus. You know, that guy was a killer. He was, you know, one of the best best fighters I've been in the ring with. He's just impossible to hit. You know. Uh, another name, I mean, uh, he's up there right now. He's getting ready to, to fight for a world title himself, uh, Shakur Stevenson. You know, that kid's also something special, uh, a great fighter. And, you know, uh, definitely those guys are, are, you know, part of the process. You know, a lot of times you you have to take a, a, a ass-whooping <laughs> to learn, but it's worth it, you know, coming from those guys because you learn a lot. Absolutely. Some brilliant names there. Um, there's obviously a fight happening uh in, in the featherweight division this weekend over here in the UK. Josh Warrington defends his title. Have you managed to see much of him? I'm guessing that, you know, if you were to pull off a big win, become champion, he's a guy you'd probably be looking at. Yes, definitely, man. Josh Warrington, he's, a, he's a, I mean, that's the perfect example of the underdog just overachieving anything, you know, it, it, it's possible because when he was getting ready to fight, um, I believe it was uh, Lee Selby, I think it was Lee Selby, and then he fought uh, Carl Frampton, Nobody gave that guy a chance to beat him, you know. Obviously, uh, he came out, and, man, you know, he's another guy that throws a lot of punches, that's very, very uh, active, and, and I think he hurt Carl Franzen, you know, a few times in that fight. Nobody thought he could hurt Carl Franzen. So, man, that just shows you that the underdogs are, are always coming to win. You know, we're always coming to win and give surprises. And, of course, he's a guy that I, I'm always looking at and, and – possible opponents i mean anybody around the featherweight super featherweight division they're always in the radar we're always even because even though i'm a fighter i'm also a fan of the sport so of course i I watch those big fights you know carl frampton josh warrington lee selby all those guys around our division you know there's some there are guys that i'm always looking at 
and uh, I want to get your, your your prediction on the main event. Uh, Wilder Ortiz, the rematch, obviously the first fight had some real good moments. I mean, I've got no idea how Wilder stayed on his feet after Ortiz went for him on that onslaught he had. Um, intriguing fight. How do you see the rematch playing out, though? Yeah, obviously, you know, when you're uh, dealing with Deontay Wilder, it's just going to be a, you're like on the edge of your seat because you're just like waiting for that big knockout punch to come. But then you have uh, Luis Ortiz, you know, he's a, he's a great boxer, comes from the Cuban boxing school. That's the, I've always said it, man, the, that's, the, that's the boxing school I, I admire the most. You know, the Cubans, they're so technical sound, so hard to hit, you know. So it, it's, it, I want to say you have to give the edge to, to Wilder because he already beat him once. But, you know, in, in the heavyweight division, that's the exciting thing about it, that one punch. I mean, in boxing, one punch could change a fight around. But, uh, you know, I think we have to favor uh, Deontay because he already got the win. And, you know, he's mentally, he's always, you know, positive. And, I mean, we we're at the press conference and just the speech he gave out, you know, it's just motivating. But then I was looking over at Luis Ortiz and the look, the look he had on his face was just like a grin, like he was ready to roll right then and then. So it's going to be an exciting fight. I mean, I'm just blessed to be, you know, part of it. You know, the heavyweight championship of the world, you know, I'm I'm there. MGM Grand, I mean, like I said, one step away from, from the top of the zone. And talking of heavyweight rematches, well, I'm asking this question to everyone that we're speaking to over the last few weeks. Joshua Ruiz, I'm guessing that you're probably pulling for Ruiz in the rematch. Um, how do you see it playing out, though? <laughs> Obviously, the, the, the first fight, I think... Uh, no one gave uh, uh, you know Andy Ruiz a chance. Obviously, that's another another perfect example that the underdog you know always comes to fight. You know that nothing is written in boxing, and um, obviously we know that uh, um, Joshua possibly could have got a uh, uh, overconfident. You know he saw a short um, Mexican kid, you know little chubby, and he's thinking like, okay, this guy's here for a payday. But obviously, you know, we, in boxing, you can't ever be too confident. Um, right now, the way I see things is, is once again, man, it, you know, the first fight, if you were a real boxing man, you knew it was a 50-50 fight because we knew Andy Ruiz could fight. If you were a casual, you would see the guy, and you're like, oh, this guy's not winning. But boxing fans knew it was a 50-50. And once again, I think it's a 50-50 fight. Why? It's just something like the Roberto Duran and Sugar Ray Leonard fight. I mean, after the fight, you know, Duran won. He went out and, you know, doing all these crazy things. And I think Andy did a little bit of that, you know. And I, we saw uh, uh, Joshua in the gym grinding. So, you know, I know Joshua wants to get that back. Obviously, he's becoming a lot more focused. He knows what he's getting himself um, into. But, uh, I mean, Andrew Ruiz, he's good speed for a heavyweight. So, it's another 50-55, of course. I think I'm leaning for, for, for Andrew Ruiz on that one just because his confidence is there fully. And um, I think he, he broke uh, Joshua's spirit in that last fight. Yeah, very popular opinion. Even this side of the pond, a lot of people side in with Ruiz to do the job once again um, in Saudi Arabia. Um, and finally, the last question for you here, Miguel. Who is your favorite? I'm putting you on the spot a little bit here. Who would you say is your favorite UK fighter of any era? It can be a guy still boxing now. It can be a guy who retired many years ago. Who comes to mind when I ask you that question, sir? Man, you know, it's crazy because uh, I've heard it and I've seen it that the UK fans are hard accord. You know, obviously, you had some great fighters, but I mean, does Ricky Hatton count as a, as a, U, a UK fight? You know, he's from over there from England. 
he I think he's one of the best to, to ever do it. You know, he's a great volume puncher, just keeps coming. Even in his disease, he always kept coming. So really like, you know, the way he fought. And obviously now in the later days, you know, you have a lot of great, great talent coming up. Um, I, I like, uh, obviously, Frampton, you know, because uh, I study his fight a lot with Leo, and he's the one that, you know, kind of, you know, gave Leo the hardest time in his career. So he's he's up there with them, too. Yeah, two very good fighters. And finally, just before I let you go, Miguel, I just wanted to kind of throw it over to you if you've got a closing message for our listeners at all. Um, and also, just give us your social media handles so people can follow you as well if they're not already following across all social media platforms. Yeah, definitely. I just want to thank everybody that's been supportive since day one. All my friends, all my family, you know, my kids. Um, I do it for them. Uh, obviously, the naysayers. I mean, I'm, I want I want to thank them because, believe it or not, the naysayers are motivation for me. You know, I think like I want to prove these people wrong. I want to give them a, a, a hard look after the fight and tell them y'all were wrong. You know, just thank everybody. You know, tune in November twenty third in Grand Las Vegas is going to be a show. Like I, like you said, the heavyweight division is going to be popping. Us, we're going to produce a great fight. We're going to try to steal the show. And obviously, you follow me on social media, Miguel Flores on Facebook, um, Twitter, and Instagram. I have my nickname, uh, at L underscore Michoacano number two. You guys can follow me on there. And obviously, we're always uploading videos and, you know, keeping up with our training. Can you catch a few pictures, a few clips of our of, of our training there as well? Excellent. Very well said, Miguel. Listen, it has been absolutely fantastic chatting with you this week. I wish you the very best of luck for November 23rd in Las Vegas. And hopefully the next time we speak, I'll be speaking to the new WBA super featherweight world champion. Definitely. Thank you guys for the opportunity to to showcase me. Thank you. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. Ayaz, take it away. What news you got? Yes, the first news is that... uh... The KSRV's Paul Logan fight will be shown on Sky Sports box office for nine ninety five. Logan Paul. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, that goes to show how much interest myself and I as having that fight. Um, it's, I mean, it's, I don't know if it's good for boxing or bad. I can see both points. I know it's going to bring a new audience. And quite frankly, I don't know about what other people do, but when I'm paying for a pay-per-view and when, you know, friends of mine are, are paying for a pay-per-view, because they're paying for it, I don't know if if I'm going to sound cheap here, but because because we're we're shelling out for these for these fights, we want to see the whole card. You know, when I pay for a pay per view, I make sure that I'm watching the very first fight on the telecast because I want value for money. I don't just want to tune into the main event. Um, obviously, I'm a boxing fan, and the customers that they're trying to get to pay for this thing are not going to be boxing fans. They're going to be YouTube fans and stuff. So, will they be tuning in? Um, some of them probably will, some of them probably won't, to be honest. But even even if you know, like ten percent of them tuned in to the to the to the chief support, because you do have to tune in to know, you know, someone has to tune in to know when the main event's going to start. So so people will be watching the chief support, uh, Billy Joe Saunders and stuff like that. So even if he does gain a few thousand fans, then I suppose it is a positive move for boxing and for him. And obviously there's a few names on the undercard. They're all going to be in, you know, look good kind of fights. Um, but it's definitely, definitely not worth 10 pounds for me. I am not going to be watching that one. I don't know about you guys. Are you going to be putting your hand in your pocket and paying 10 pound for that? No, because I don't think that's that fight should even be pay-per-view. There's no reason because Eddie Hunt's uh, promoting the fight. 
Yeah, I mean, again, they would have probably done some kind of pay-per-view thing on 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 YouTube, but yeah, you know, definitely not worth the money. Um, quite crazy to see a, a genuine world title fight on the undercard. One or two, I think, are on the undercard. But um, yeah, it's, it's, we've got we've got to talk about the news. I'm not going to be watching it. I'm not even interested in it. I was I was invited to go to the press conference earlier this week, and I, I just got I've got absolutely no interest at all. So I didn't even bother going. And it just goes to kind of show. I just want to say this. I know that. You know, if you're big enough like an IFL TV, you've got to go to all these media things, you know. But just goes to show some of the media that turned up to it, all those media people like to bash it on, on social media. They'll be like, oh, it's a complete joke. It's a complete joke. KSI, Logan Paul, two YouTubers. And then they'll turn up to the press conference with their camera dying for an interview with one of those guys to get some views. It's just, <laughs> it tells you a lot about people like that, but... We don't care about the views. We we care about the fighters and and of course the listeners. We don't care if they're if 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 we're you know making podcasts for an audience of ten people or ten thousand people. You know we're not all about views. Many of the podcasts we've done over the years have been absolutely terrible views, to be honest. And if I only cared about views, we'd probably stop the podcast a long time ago. It's all about love. It's all about good relationships with the fighters and of course our listeners. We like to be as interactive as possible um rant over though rant over though um let people do what they want to do but yeah i i think the fight's a crazy fight and therefore i'm not interested in going to the press conference or the fight or anything yeah the next news is that david uh, derek chazor will face david price on october 26th yeah obviously joseph parker had to pull out i think we might have said that on last week's show i think he got bit by a spider I spoke to him just briefly. I just basically sent him a message saying, I'm sorry to hear what happened. I'm absolutely gutted. And he was way more gutted than me, you know. Um, again, I said it to him when, when we had him on the show a few weeks ago. I said to him, and I said it on the show myself, I felt like he would win that fight hands down. You know, I felt like that would be a brilliant win for for him and the perfect kind of, you know, the perfect thing that he needs right now in his career to boost him up once again. Um in steps David Price, though, you know. It's, it's been announced earlier this week. I'm not surprised at all. When I saw what Eddie Hearn had said in an IFL TV interview, um, he basically gave a short list of names. Uh, Michael Hunter was on that list. Of course, I spoke to Mike. That didn't really seem like it was seriously going to happen. Um, he's supposed to be on the AJ undercard. He's only boxed, I think, just over a month ago. So it's not really the right kind of thing. But he would have fought. He would have fought him. He would have fought. You know, he'd fight anyone on on two weeks' notice. Michael Hunter. He's a throwback fighter. But yeah, it wasn't to be him. And then when I looked at the other names, I think they were considering um, um, Otto Wallin. I mean, of course, he's not going to be ready after fighting Fury again about a month ago. Um, some of the other names were terrible, to be honest. Um, I know that the Shannon Briggs thing was only for a bit of banter. It wasn't like it was ever serious. But out of the other names, um, I just looked at him and thought, you know what, it's going to be David Price, isn't it? And this is a fight that I have said about five years ago would be a good fight at the time. That was before Price got knocked out um, many, many times. So I always thought that would be a good fight. But at this stage in their careers... Um, David Price, even though he's coming off that win over Dave Allen, Dave Allen is nowhere near the level of Derek Chisora. Derek Chisora, in my opinion, will overwhelm David Price and end up stopping him. I think he's actually got one of the worst styles for David Price. I can't see David Price sticking Chisora behind the jab and popping out the right hand here and there. Chisora's a tough guy. I can't see Price knocking him out. 
And um, if I've got to say, if, if I've really got to say it, the way to beat Chisora is to box and move. He he he's got terrible feet, in my opinion, and the way to beat him is to box rings around him. And David Price just isn't that mobile on his feet. He's a big guy, but I can just see Chisora getting on the inside, getting on his chest, overwhelming him and stopping him. But um, I hope I'm wrong because I'd like Pricey to do it. I do like Price. Um, hopefully, it's a good fight. But for me, it's it's not one I'm excited for at all. The WBC president has declared that Julio Cesar Martinez will face Christopher Rosales for the WBC flyweight title after Charlie Edwards vacated it. Yeah, um, obviously Charlie Edwards vacated to move back up to super flyweight, a weight he was at before. Um, Just to clear up, if anyone didn't know this already, you know, when Charlie Edwards turned pro, he turned pro at flyweight. He's absolutely huge for the weight. He decided to move up to super flyweight because I think making flyweight was quite a task. Moved up to super flyweight, actually, um, you know, started started looking real good. He started knocking people out. He looked stronger and fitter, more healthy. And then he went back down to flyweight simply because the chance to fight for a title presented itself he won the title of course he defended it once against the spanish guy moreno and then he obviously got in there with with um, julio caesar martinez aguilar the guy that stopped andrew selby and you know we, we saw a little taster there of of the mexican and the mexican even though he lost every round to andrew selby he, he started fast against charlie edwards and Obviously, we know what happened. I think Sonny Edwards said it himself. He said that we were we were a bit lucky to walk away with the belt because, um, you know, it, it seemed like it, the fight was only going one way. So Charlie had a chance right there, um, you know, to 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 decide and kind of make the shot, you know, call the call the shots on what his next move was going to be, and he he could still remain champion while he made that decision. So, you know, Charlie did say, because remember, people are going to forget this in a few years' time, but right after the fight, it was announced that Charlie had lost. And Charlie said, do you know what, I'm going to be honest, uh, um, you know, I struggled to make the weight this time around. I think my future is at super flyweight. And then, of course, when they reversed the decision and said it was a no contest, he's still champion. So he's thinking, oh, well, oh God, I don't want to let people know that I'm struggling if I'm going to have to fight again and stuff like that. And then, of course, when he got to sit down and, you know, talk to his team and decide on what was best for him, the best thing to do was to move up to super flyweight. And a lot of people are out there bashing him, saying, oh, he's scared to fight him, oh, blah, blah, blah. Trust me. He loves the challenge. He's obsessed with challenges, this guy. And just the fact that people said, oh, he was going to knock you out anyway, you got lucky, yeah, blah, blah, blah. That would have wound him up. That would have made him want the rematch more than anything. Believe me, I know the guy. Um, but, you know, he's posted a few pictures of what he looked like, I think maybe a week or so, or a few days before the weigh-in, and he was overweight by a bit, and he, he was really dry, and he absolutely looked awful. He, he looked ill, actually. So, um yeah, you know, I think it's the right thing for him. He he always wanted to be a multi-weight world champion. He was never satisfied about just being a one-weight world champion. He always said, "I want to be a multi-weight world champion." This is his chance to do it. Um, you know, he's a he's a he's a guy with big big ambitions, big dreams, and um, he's on the the road to making those dreams come true. You know, he's already done amazing things. And um, you can't help but but really support Charlie Edwards. You know he's a he's a good guy. A lot of people were were hating him when he was coming up for some reason. I never understand that. You know we've seen the true character of him now, or or at least the fans have seen the true character of him now. Very good guy, very humble guy. Will help anyone, and um, you know he deserves this. And hopefully we get to see that 
that um, that Cal Yafai fight at some point because now the uh, the fight I'd say is probably a bit easier to make. So hopefully we get to see it. It's the right time I feel, and um, hopefully we get to see it. But yeah, credit credit to um, to uh, to the WBC for for also doing the right thing by Julio Cesar Martinez. He gets a chance against Rosales, the former holder of the belt. Um, it's actually going to be a real good fight, I think, because Rosales is tough as hell. And, um, you know, he's a big, big guy. Whereas the other guy, uh, Martinez, small guy, but tough as well. So that's that's actually going to be a bomb burner, I'd say, that fight there. Should be interesting. Made a best man win, and he'll be the new WBC flyweight world champion. Yep, and that's it for the news. Okay, thank you very much, Ayaz. Right, moving over now to the preview part of the show. We're going to start here at the Palatrento in Trentino Alto Adige in Italy. One fight, to, or two fights to mention. Uh, now, nah, just the one, actually. Fabio Turchi, that is, of course, the Italian cruiserweight. I think he beat Tony Conquest. He's 17-0. He takes on Tommy McCarthy, 15-2. and That is for Turchi's WBC International Cruiserweight title. That's a 12-rounder there. That, of course, is a Matchroom Italy show. Uh, also on Friday night, tomorrow, at the Ulster Hall in Belfast, Northern Ireland. A brilliant fight here, actually. I really like this one at Flyweight. It's for the vacant IBF Intercontinental Flyweight title. Jay Harris, the Welshman, 16-0. He takes on Paddy Barnes, the bronze medalist, 6-2. and um, We've actually gone to the predictions on that, Iaz, so I'm going to ask you in just a sec. Jay Harris and Paddy Barnes. But on the undercard... Um, Terry Flanagan gets out, 34-2. and two. He's in an eight-rounder against Michael Anser, who's 17-9 and nine with two draws. Terry Flanagan, I want to see back at a high level. I'm not quite sure how he's really motivated for these kind of fights here, to be honest. But I as Jay Harris against Paddy Barnes. Talk to me. Um, I don't really know much about Jay Harris, but I know about Paddy Barnes. I think if I'm going to go win, I'm going to go with Paddy Barnes to win by points. Paddy Barnes on points. The listeners have gone with... Paddy Barnes on points as well, 43%. And in second place, Harris by knockout, 22%. We had 147 votes on that one. Um, I'm actually going to go with Jay Harris to win. Oh, gosh. Jay Harris definitely to win. I think he wins that one quite clear, in my honest opinion. But I would say he will win by points. I think he probably wins on points there, Jay Harris. Great fight, though. Definitely can't miss that one. I think it's on IFL TV, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Also on the Friday night, in the Connecticut Convention Center in USA, two fights to mention on this bill. Former world champion Chad Dawson, fight number 41. It's for the vacant WBC United States light heavyweight title. He takes on Dennis Grachev, who's now 19-8 and with one draw. Chad Dawson, like I say, 35-5. and and also friend of the show on the undercard, Cassius Cheney, 17-0. and He's looking to be. He's currently 16-0. and It's an eight-rounder against Santander Silgado, who's 28-7. and And moving over to the final two bills. This one happens at the first direct arena in Leeds, Yorkshire, United Kingdom. Um, on the undercard, we shall mention Mark Heffron, 23-1. and He takes on Rui Pavanito, who's 10-9 and with one draw. That's a six-rounder there. If I'm not mistaken, Pavanito's the guy that boxed Martin Murray and Craig Richards. And he's a tough, tough guy. That that That's a tough opponent, I'm telling you there. Uh, also on the bill, Troy Williamson, 11-0 with one draw fights for the vacant 
WBO Intercontinental Super Welterweight title against Navid Mansouri, who's 20-2 and with two draws. Lyndon Arthur fights for the vacant Commonwealth title, 15-0 and against Emmanuel Anim, who's 14-2 and with one draw. And a brilliant fight on the undercard. This one for me, I'm loving. I'm really loving this. Zelfa Barrett, 22-1. and He fights for the Commonwealth Super Featherweight title against Jordan McCorey, 18-6 and with one draw. Jordan McCorey, huge, huge set of nuts on him. He's been in there with the likes of Archie Sharp and Sam Bowen. Um, again, a lot of people would say it's out of those two to, to, to kind of decide who the best super featherweight in Britain is. But there's other people, especially if they live in Manchester, that would say Zelfa Barrett's the number one. So it'd be interesting to see what Jordan McCorey says after you know he has the fight with Zelfa Barrett because those three are probably the top three um, you know, in in Britain for super featherweights and the main event, Josh Warrington, twenty nine and zero, he defends his IBF world featherweight title against Sofiane Takuch, thirty eight and sorry, thirty five and three with one draw. Um, obviously, it's a it's a bit of a step down really for Josh Warrington. He's coming off of some brilliant fights. You know, he's he's been fighting big name fighters in Britain and he gets my respect for that, you know. The fight against Lee Selby, right after that, the fight against Carl Frampton, right after that, the fight against Kid Galahad. You you've got to really, really throw him some some kudos there. But Takuch is a guy, you know, he's thirty three years of age from France and some of these French guys are a little bit padded. I've got to be honest. Um, you look down his his resume. I'm trying to I'm trying to do it right now, actually, because a lot of people you you guys know if you listen every week. I don't usually need to check box rec, but for people like this, I actually do. And to be honest, the three losses that he's got. Two of the guys I've never heard of, and one of them was Guilame Frenois. That was the guy that boxed Tevin Farmer and John O'Carroll. You know, he lost. Well, he lost a, quite a close-ish fight, I suppose, with Fremois. That was back in 2009, so 10 years ago. So, yes, yeah, Takuch, I don't think, is going to, uh, you know, put up any kind of threat, really, to Josh Warrington. But I'll tell you one thing. Takuch has never been stopped. But our listeners, they've gone with Warrington by knockout. 54% going with that. 42% going with Warrington on points. Only 4% going with Takuch to, to win, hands down. So, um, not... Not many people giving Takuch a shot on this one, but everyone's going big for the Warrington knockout, even though Takuch has never been stopped. For me, I think that Warrington wins on points. How do you see it, Ayaz? I think, personally, I think, if I, in my opinion, I'm going to go Warrington to win to Warrington, Warrington to win on points. I don't think Warrington has that knockout power. We can see by his resume and how many knockouts he's had. So if I'm going to go with winning that, I'm going to go with Josh Warrington to win on points. Josh Warrington to win on points, so we agree there. And also, I forgot to ask you, um, on the undercard, like I say, Zelfa Barrett and Jordan McCorey, I as the listeners going with Barrett on points. I probably have to agree with that, to be honest with you. How do you see it? Yep, I have to agree with you as well. Zelfa Barrett to win on points. Great minds think alike, they say. All three of us agreeing with that. I say all three of us. It's myself and you, Ayaz, and then a bunch of listeners. So there's there's quite a few of us that are going there with Zelfa Barrett on points. And the final bill to mention, it happens at the Trust Arena in Chicago, Illinois, USA. Um, we have on the undercard Anthony Sims Jr., 19-0. He's in a 10-rounder against Morgan Fitch, 19-3 with one draw. TJ Doheny, the former world champion, 21-1. 
one. He's in an eight rounder against Jesus Martinez, 26 and nine. We have Jessica McCaskill, seven and two. She takes on Erica Farias, who's 26 and three. That one's for the WBA and WBC World Female Super Lightweight titles. Uh, Dimitri Bivol's on the card. It's kind of gone under the radar almost. I haven't even heard people talk about it. It's 16 and 0. He defends his WBA World Light Heavyweight title against Lenin Castillo, who's 20 and 2 with one draw. Castillo gave quite a tough fight to. Um Marcus Brown, if I'm not mistaken. I think he had Marcus Brown down in that fight. He's a good fighter, but he shouldn't really be able to trouble Bivol in any kind of way, to be honest. Bivol looks like possibly the best at um, at light heavy. And, of course, the main event, we're going to have to mention it at the very end of the show when I'm signing out because right now it's still up in the air. Alexander U6, 16-0, he will be fighting. He's in a 12-rounder. It was a, it was supposed to be against Tyrone Spong, who had a record of 14-0, but, of course, Varda have, have, have alerted everyone that they've found something, I think maybe one or two things in Spong's, um, in, in Spong's drug test. So Spong is out, and I think a replacement opponent will be confirmed by the time we've wrapped up the show in its entirety so we can't do predictions on that we can't really even talk about that so if you want to hear you know hear about the uh, the thoughts on u6 fight then you'll have to tune into next week's show unfortunately hopefully the opponent is a good one but like i say it will probably get announced at the very end of the show so i will mention that on my own uh, but that is about everything for the preview part of the show just before we wrap up part two and finally end everything the final thing of course is to welcome as always us second and final guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the former multiple-time world champion. It is, of course, Mr. Robert the Ghost Guerrero. Robert, welcome to the show, sir. How's it going? Very good, my friend. How are you? Doing great. Excellent, man. Excellent. So, Robert, first things first, I'm a big admirer of yours. Um, I want to revisit a couple of big moments throughout your career. I want to start, actually, uh, December 2nd, 2005, your, your first career loss to Gamaliel Diaz. A close fight that you lost via split decision over 12 rounds. Obviously, six months later, you came back in the rematch to knock Diaz out in six rounds. I'm a big believer in your first loss in boxing being a make-or-break moment for a lot of guys. Do you believe in that too? And if so, was that early loss a blessing in disguise looking back now, all that way? Oh, definitely it was. You know, uh, you know, being able to come back and and, uh, and knock the guy out that actually edged you out on point. Um, yeah, I mean, for sure. I, I believe it's a make or break fight too because uh, you don't know what you don't know what what a fighter really does until he reaches adversity. And uh, you know, it goes to show. You know, if you come back off of a off of a loss, you know, especially early in your career, it uh, you know it, it, it just shows what kind of what kind of heart and what kind of dedication you have. Absolutely, and of course, after that rematch, that win earned you a shot at the IBF featherweight world champion, Eric Aiken. You know, the best achievement in boxing, of course, is to win a world title. The best way, some people say, to beat a man is to make him quit. Describe the moment that you checked both of those boxes in just one evening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I was I was so determined, you know, to win that world championship. Uh, you know, uh, Eric Aiken, he, he uh, said a few things that kind of rubbed me the wrong way where, um, you know, I just felt like he, he was overlooking me and, 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 uh, felt that, that I, I didn't deserve to be in there with him. So, uh, you know, I, I wanted to punish him. I, I, I felt I could have knocked him out earlier in the fight. And, uh, I actually told him during the press conference, uh, that he better knock me out or not. I'm going to put a, put a, a bad 
beating on him. And, uh, you know, that's, that's what I went out there and did, uh, you know, went out there and, uh, went to work and, and started with the, with a nasty body attack and, and brought it back to the head and just kept that constant pressure and just, just banging away. And, um, you know, after, after, uh, after a few rounds, he just uh, had enough and didn't want to come back out no more. So, uh, you know, it was, it was one of those, uh, it was one of those, those fights where you you achieve the ultimate goal you're going for and then also not just that you did it in a a amazing fashion where you know you left the guy with no moss no more (laughs) cherry on top of the icing on top of the cake Yep. And again, you know, your your resume is a real deep one. You know, wins back then over the likes of Malcolm Class and Joel Casamayor, Andre Berto back in 2012. Please talk me through that 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 fight there with Berto, Robert. That's arguably probably your best win, I'd say. Oh yeah, definitely it was uh it was one of the one of the the awesome wins, you know, especially uh against a guy like Andre Berto whose stature just was incredible. Um you know, one of the biggest guys at Walter Wade, fastest, strongest punching guys. And, um, you know, to get out there uh, and, you know, exchange with him on the inside, the outside, box him. And, uh, you know, just uh, to to put in that type of work and, and that type of result, I mean, it was amazing. It was an amazing fight. Uh, I think he really underestimated me also, too, is because of, uh, you know, I, I started my, my professional career at 122 pounds and worked all the way to welterweight and getting into the welterweight division, I came off of a, a two year layoff with a shoulder surgery uh, on a rotator cuff on my left side and um, jumped the two weight classes from 135 straight to 47. And, uh, and um, it was, it was a, it was a big gamble and a big decision. Um, but I, 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 it was, uh, it was incredible, you know, to go out there and beat a guy like, uh, like Andre Berto and just dominate the fight and, and, and I mean, leave him the way I left him. I mean, it was it was one of those uh, those those memorable fights, not just for myself but for the fam. It certainly was. And of course, after that fight, you called out Floyd Mayweather. You managed to get what you wanted. Uh, the Mayweather fight took place May the fourth, twenty thirteen. Um, I remember that night very well, actually. One of my most um, clearest <laughs> memories in 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 all of Mayweather's fights. Uh, you know, it was a it was a diff- very different night for me, of course, than yourself. I remember staying up with with a bad migraine. I ordered some pizza and I stayed up to the early hours of the morning to watch that one. But um, just describe for me what it was like to to be in there with arguably you know the best fighter of this generation, Robert, and to really give him a run for his money in the early rounds, especially. Um, it was incredible. I mean, it was incredible. You know, first first uh, four rounds. I mean, I, I was I was doing great. I mean, went out there. Uh, was counter punching, did some great stuff, hit him with some nasty body shots, and uh, I think the body shots is what kind of put him on his bike and made him just say, "Heck with this, I- I'm not going to exchange with him. I'm just going to outpoint the guy and and touch him and get out of there." And um, you know that's what he did. Uh, but but you know the the just the magnitude of the event, you know the the media the media tour, um, you know all the press conferences, the all access. Um, I mean, it was incredible. It, it, it's an experience uh, of a lifetime. And, uh, you know, to be in there also with, uh, you know, one of the best fighters, you know, in the history of boxing and, and to give him a, give him a run and, and, and to get credit from him to, you know, where they go, you know, you, you cruise to an easy victory and him in the press conference just go, that was not easy. I had to be on my game every second of that fight. 
um, you know, it, 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 it's nice to hear that, you know, you get that respect from a fighter like Floyd Mayweather. And, um, you know, it, it's, uh, it's one of those fights that, 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 that I'm happy with because it, it's going to go down in the history books as, uh, as, you know, being in there with, with, uh, possibly the best ever. And, um, you know, in his last couple of fights before he retired. Absolutely. And, um, I remember in the in the ring afterwards when they interviewed you and you showed a load of class after that you know you you were praising uh you know praising the lord and just kind of using that moment using that 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 if you like spotlight on yourself to just spread a bit more positivity which you always do that was just a real moment of class that kind of i think made a lot of people like you even more you know after that because you put on a brilliant fight and then to come out and say what you said afterwards was brilliant um you know the, the very next fight you had not with a not not a guy with a huge name but Yoshihiro Kamagai arguably the toughest man in Japan um what a, what a fight that was as well <laughs> oh yeah definitely that was an incredible fight um to this day that was one of the toughest fights I've, I've probably been in with uh was with the uh, Yoshihiro Kamagai um you know him getting the opportunity to uh, to put himself right in those big fights with the uh, guys like Floyd Mayweather. You know the welterweight division, how how packed it was. You know Garcia, Thurman, all these guys are in there. And um, you know with Kamagai, uh, you know he 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 was ready to go. I mean he did everything he had to do. And then uh, the venue we were at also too in in uh, in Carson, California, um, here in the states, where uh, I mean the ring is like. I think it's probably the smallest fight ring in, in America. So, and, and the crowd is just, just, there's something about that crowd where, where it just, you, you're inspired just to go out there and just put on a show and, and it's outdoor and, and it's, it's uh, pretty much a tennis arena. So like everybody's like on top of you. And, um, and I mean, it's just, it's just an incredible atmosphere. And, uh, you know, went out there and, and you know, banged it out with him, boxed him, banged it out, boxed him. You know, it was a, it was a tremendous fight. You know, for uh, ten rounds, and um, man, it, it was one of those again, one of those fights that that the fans loved and appreciated big time. Yeah, it certainly was. I mean, that guy, you know, he was never in a bad fight. He was, uh, like I say, such a tough, tough guy, camera guy. Um, you know, certainly a guy who I feel would be in the uh, the the who needs him kind of club because he always brought a fight with him um obviously after that robert you know you you had a bit of a rough patch you boxed five times you lost four of the five um those losses against Furman, against danny garcia against peralta and of course against figueroa and then you decided to retire now what actually made you do this U-turn on your retirement, Robert? Because I know that you're a smart guy. Everyone in boxing knows it's not a good idea to hang around too long in this game. So my question is, what made you? <laughs> what made you do a U-turn? <laughs> Just not not being done yet. Um, I felt the, uh, you know, I sat back and, and took the time off, and, and, and you know, announced retirement. Uh, didn't uh, you know want anybody picking at me about boxing or anything like that, and. Um, you know, really got to sit back and assess myself. I mean, it was just fight after fight and big fight after fight. And, and, and I mean, you know, I was, I was always back in the ring, you know, within like four months, not even giving my time to relax, recover, um, you know, assess myself, what I'm doing wrong. And, um, you know, I was able to sit back and do that and, and, and really look at it and, and see what I'm doing wrong. Um, you know, what I'm not doing, what I'm not 
what I'm supposed to be doing to, to be ready for fights. And, uh, um, you know, it, the, the time off really, really kind of, kind of threw me in that, that loop where it was like, Hey, man, I'm not done yet. I, I really, really got the chance to look back and, and see what I was doing. And I was pretty much half stepping, you know, in these big fights, the bigger the fights got, it seems like I wasn't, I wasn't preparing the way I was supposed to be preparing for these big championship fights. Uh, you know, I, I stopped going to training camps. I was training back at home, you know, hanging around and, and not wanting to leave and seclude myself and be a hundred percent prepared. So, uh, you know, that type of stuff at the championship level is, it, it, you know, it's unacceptable. I mean, you could get away with some fights, but when you're in with the best fighters in the world, um, you know, you got to have the best training and the best preparations. And I wasn't, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't doing none of that. So, um, you know, I, I just thought I wasn't done yet. I feel great. Um, man, it, it's, uh, so I, uh, you know, decided to, to, to make that, that last run. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's proved to be pretty good so far. You know, you've returned 3-0 and in, in your return, two KOs. Um, I get on pretty well with Omar Figueroa. I was I was messing around with him. I said, how on earth did you beat uh, Guerrero? And then in all the inactivity that you had, Guerrero retired, came back out and fought on the Fury Wilder undercut before you've had another fight afterwards. <laughs> you know? But, um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Funny stuff. Um, what, is the, what is the long-term goal um, with, with this comeback? back here Robert is are you trying to make another run at a title at, at 147 obviously the division's on fire right now oh definitely uh you know I mean you know looking to make that run at 147 and win a world championship again and, and uh you know the ultimate goal is to is to try to be the unified champion um you know Spence is that unified champion right now and uh you know but it's about it's about that hard work and, and proving myself and and being right back and getting myself right back in line and uh you know, so far so good, and, and I'm excited about it. And you've been very active in this comeback. Have you got a date just yet for your for your next fight at all? Any kind of month in mind? Uh, no, I'm gonna take a you know Christmas off and, and spend it with the family. And um, you know that's what I wasn't doing before was I was I was jumping right back into fights within you know four months, and, and I gave my time to recover and and assess myself and work on what I need to work on. So. Uh, you know, now we're spreading it out a little bit more. And, uh, you know, the older you get, you got to take care of yourself a lot more also. So, uh, you know, that's what uh, we're probably looking towards maybe like a March, somewhere there, March, April. So, uh, um, you know, I- I'm excited about it, though. And, uh, you know, be ready. That- that's all I can say. <laughs> be ready for sure and um who do you who, yeah. who do you see in your honest opinion robert as you know the kind of number one guy at the moment at 147 if you had to say out of out of spence and crawford that seems to be everybody's number one and two who do you see number one and two out of those guys well i mean on paper right now i mean it, it's uh it's spence uh, for sure you know he's the unified champ just beat porter beat mikey garcia you know he beat uh cal brook and uh i mean it's it, it, he his resume is just it's deep right now and, 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 you know, proof is in the pudding. He's, he's, uh, he is the unified champion right now. And, um, you know, it, it, it's a matter, it's a matter of, uh, of Crawford just getting those fights. But I, I think, uh, if, if you look at his fight style and, and, and styles make fights, I think, I think their, their matchup is an incredible matchup. I, I, I really feel, um, it comes down to, them two fighting each other to see who's the number one guy right now. 
That's a fight we'd all love to see, of course. Hopefully it does happen at some point. Those two fights I would love to see standing across the ring from me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you would. I'm sure you would. And um, coming down to the last couple of questions here, Robert, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here, but I must ask this question to everyone that we speak to from overseas. Um, who would you say is your favorite UK fighter? It can be from any era. Who springs to mind when I ask you that question? Favorite UK fighter, any era? Uh, my favorite UK fighter? Uh, right now, I think I, I like Billy Joe Sanders. Ooh, okay. Okay. What about him? What yeah. about him do you like? Obviously he's a Southpaw. Yeah. Southpaw. I mean, you know, he, he comes to fight, you know, he's in there, he's slick, you know, he, I really, I really think, uh, you know, his style, I mean, the way he, the way he moves, you know, he's a puncher, boxer, you know, he mixes it up and boxing the outside, coming the inside, you know, he's really slick. I, it, I just like the way he fights okay yeah i think we've had billy joe saunders name said a few times very good fighter of course still undefeated <laughs> many many big fights as well for him uh whether he decides to to stay at super middle where he is at the minute or move back down to middle um i do just want to say though robert that personally i mean i think you're a real credit to the sport of boxing not just as a fighter who gives it he's all every single time he gets in the ring but also as a man you know i really respect what you stand for and you really are i feel one of the few role models that we have in this sport uh, i do just want to let you know though that everyone in the uk i'm not sure if you're our favorite guerrero a lot of people love ruben your father's a bit of a legend over here oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah everybody loves him here in america too uh you know, he's a character and, uh, you know, people love, people love that, the way he entertains and the way he comes out. And, uh, you know, he's, uh, he's that, uh, old school lowrider guy. <laughs> and, um, you know, he, he's, he's, he's a ball of energy and, uh, I mean, he loves it. So, uh, yeah, he loves the fans out there too. I mean, he really cherishes all of them that, that, uh, Love to watch him. Yeah, we do love to watch him. And uh, finally, Robert, just before I let you go, my friend, if you have you got any closing words to your UK supporters? I'm sure over the years you've probably had a whole heap of love from guys over here in the UK. We really do respect true boxers, like I say, real role models. You are one of those. What's your message to your supporters from this side of the pond, my friend? Uh, just thank you for all the support. You know, really been truly been a blessing on my career and. Uh, Every time I see people from the UK, I mean, they they embrace me with open arms, and, and um, you know, it, it's uh, it's it's like you said. I mean, they really they really embrace and they they, they love the sport of boxing, and um, you know, it, it's amazing. It's amazing, and uh, you know, hopefully by the end of my career, I can get out there and fight for the fans out there one of these days. You know, either with a Cal Brook or or even Amir Khan. I mean, it'll be incredible. We would absolutely love that. I'm telling you now. Listen, Robert, it has been a real delight sharing some time with you today. Best of luck with the future. We can't wait to see you out once again next year. Enjoy Christmas. Enjoy the little bit of time off, and I'm sure that we'll talk again real soon, my friend. God bless. Hey, God bless you. Thank all the fans also, too, out there in the UK. And uh, keep watching because Guerrero's back. Okay, and this wraps up episode 208 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. I as Sumra has been I as Sumra. A massive thank you to our two guests on this week's show, the top featherweight contender, Miguel Flores, and of course, the former two-weight world champion, Robert Guerrero. The predictions are back this weekend. Best of luck with that. Again, the news, U6 replacement opponent has been announced. It will be the 38-year-old Chaz Witherspoon. Chaz's last fight of note was when he actually got knocked out by Seth Mitchell's 
seven years ago in three rounds. It's a terrible replacement, but you know there wasn't much time really to get a fight done. Usyk's heavyweight debut was supposed to be a few months back, but of course he got injured in the lead-up to the Takam fight. Then we had to wait for this fight, and with Spong failing a test, Usyk simply couldn't afford to put it off any longer. I've got a feeling Usyk might carry Witherspoon a few rounds just to simply get the rounds in at heavyweight or of course he may just end up knocking with a spoon out in a round or two in other news Jose Ramirez the WBC and WBO unified super lightweight world champion has decided to auction off his fight worn attire from his fight of the year candidate against Maurice Hooker uh, Ramirez was able to raise $10,000 and he donated it to the family of Maxim Dadashev a warrior of course that boxing lost earlier this year in the ring um, obviously a real kind gesture there there from Ramirez, it's not the first time he's done something like that, a very charitable guy, a champion outside of the ring as well as in it, friend of the show Blair Cobbs will fight on the Canelo versus Kovalev undercard on November 2nd he'll be boxing Carlos Ortiz for the vacant NABF title so I'm really pleased for him, and of course finally on that on that KSI Logan Paul undercard Billy Joe Saunders will defend his WBO super middleweight world title against Marcelo Esteban Cosarez a guy with a record of 28 and 0 with one draw Cosarez is from Argentina he's also a middleweight he hasn't even boxed that super middleweight so I've got no idea how he's even getting the shot but it is what it is that's about everything though remember to tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend please leave us a review on iTunes if you haven't already thank you all for listening to this week's podcast and we shall see you all again next week.